And as you're being seated, please take out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Tonight we are going to continue with our Going Back to the Well Sunday Evening Sermon Miniseries with a lesson entitled, as I said this morning, The Well of Conflict, although perhaps a slightly more appropriate title might be The Wells of Conflict. It is a very practical, very powerful, very immediately impactful lesson as we read through the text. It's one that is all about God's incredible formula for conflict resolving. God's incredible conflict resolving formula, which is always perfect, always flawless, and consistently produces good and positive fruit in the lives of those who will listen to and put it into practice. The lesson tonight picks up right after where we left off in last week's lesson with Rebecca. You'll recall that in Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 26, uh, let me rephrase that, start over. Starts right off with where we left off last week with Rebecca. That's what I wanted to say. In Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 26, we see that Isaac is 40 years old when he takes Rebekah as his wife. We read from there in Genesis 25 of how she is barren and how Isaac pleads to God for her to be able to bear children, which she eventually does, eventually giving birth to Jacob and Esau when Isaac is 60 years old. In verses 27 through 34 of Genesis 25, we read the story of Jacob and Esau and how Esau sold his birthright for a cup of soup and that story that we are all well aware of. And so we begin tonight, right after those events, with Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Then there was a famine in the land, besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, wouldn't you? God said, stay in this land, don't go to Egypt, and I will bless you. And one of the reasons I will bless you is because of Abraham's great faith, because Abraham listened to what I said and he did what I said. And so 
What we're going to see here is that Isaac, <coughs> encouraged by that, surely is going to try to do the same thing. And I want us to understand that verses 2 and 3 and 4 in particular are the absolute bedrock. They are the bedrock cornerstone of everything else that is to follow in this account when it comes to God's conflict resolution process that brings about such incredible results. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Here's why. From here on out, it is going to be Isaac's undaunted, rock-solid, incorruptible, despite whatever difficulties come, his father Abraham, Im Abraham imitating faith, it is going to be this very promise of God to him to stay where he's told him to stay that is going to determine all of his conflict responses over the wells that we are about to talk about. God said, stay here in this land. Don't go to Egypt, stay here. Now listen, oftentimes when God tells us to do something, there's problems, there's conflicts that come around. We know as Christians, we know that after we become Christians, sometimes living the Christian life, that there's all kinds of persecution, there's problems, there's things that come, but God is telling Isaac, stay put, do not leave. And because Isaac believed him and stayed, He's going to have some conflicts to resolve, but he's going to resolve them in a very beautiful way. And, and this is how this whole thing is, is going to go. But don't read over verses 2, 3, and 4. It was his belief in the promise and providence of God that God would bless him if he stayed there that was going to allow him to handle all of these conflicts over the wells the way he did. However, however, <laughs> Isaac was still only human, okay? And... As we all know, he was neither perfect nor flawless, and in his humanity, he did not handle all of his doubts and fears and conflicts quite as well as he handled those surrounding the wells. As we see in verses 7 through 11, Rebecca's beautiful, he's afraid that the, the men of that place might kill him and take Rebecca. He said, you know, Rebecca's my sister and didn't claim her as his wife, and and then Ahimelech, I'm sorry, Abimelech has this, this time with him and says, how could you do this to us? And, and so Isaac didn't handle everything perfectly. He was dishonest in that case, and I understand that. But here's the thing. Despite his fears in that regard, despite his problems and his struggle and his failures and his shortcomings and his sin in that regard, God still keeps God's word. God still keeps his end of the deal and rewards him mightily. Look at verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Despite our failures and our fears sometimes that God knows that we're going to struggle with and some of the things that we do that, that aren't what they ought to be, God loves us, and, and, and sin is never okay. Don't walk away from here and say, Doug said lying's okay. No, Doug didn't say that. That's wrong. That would be a sin. But the fact is, is that God, because Isaac stayed there, Isaac was blessed because God said, if you stay here, I'll bless you. 
And God will keep his end of any covenant or commitment that he makes, and so he did. This, this reminds me of, of some of the promises of the New Testament for those who will trust and obey God no matter what, just like Isaac did when it come to staying in that land. And for example, in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, 23, it says, he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 100, some 60, and some 30. When you hear the word of God and you understand it, when you hear the gospel and you obey it, and you go out and you, you try to produce its fruit in your life and follow the word of God and let it empower you and strengthen you, the fruit of the spirit begins to grow in your life. You are blessed because God keeps his end of all agreements. I'm reminded also in the New Testament of Matthew 10, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, where we read, Peter began to say to him, that is Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. As I, as I read how Isaac was blessed a, a hundredfold. In verse 12, it reminded me of how we are promised some blessings a hundredfold in the New Testament if we, like Isaac, will be faithful to God. So that's just the beginning in verse 12 of Genesis 26 of the blessings. Let us read on a little further. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering. God doesn't do things halfway. He started to prosper, and he continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds, and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Don't, don't fail to see that. He said to Abraham, go away, because you're much mightier than we. And he's got all these servants. I mean, Isaac could have, could have formed a small army here. The Philistines are envious of him. They're jealous of him because of his power and possessions. And so what do they do? They say, leave. They ask him to leave. Now, here's the conflict. Do you see it? God said, stay in this land. I'll bless you beyond your imagination, if I may paraphrase. He stays, he's blessed, and he's blessed more, and he's blessed more, and he's blessed more because he stays. God said, stay, I'll bless you. He did. In fact, he was so blessed that the people who lived there said, we don't want you here anymore. It's time to leave. So, God says stay, the people say go. God had already told him to dwell in this land and he would be with him, verse three. So, what's the faithful follower of God to do? What is a faithful Isaac or the faithful follower of God to do? God says stay there. People say, leave here. What does he do? 
fight. Remember, the Philistines had just said, you're mightier than we. He could have formed a small army. Does he fight? Does he flee? Does he forego his faith and, and give up on God? Not a chance. None of the above. He doesn't do any of those things. You know what he does? Verse 17. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. You know what he did? He simply moved down a piece. <laughs> he moved a little bit further away. Same land, same region, just relocated. He didn't fight with them. He just moved a little bit further away, but stayed in that same land. As I said, remember what the scripture says in verses 12 through 16, Isaac was mightier and more prosperous. He could have fought. He might have even won the fight. Many in the same situation might have thought that was the way to go. God said, I'm here and I'm going to fight. But not Isaac. Now, now Isaac wasn't going to go against the Lord and leave that land, that region, that area, that territory. He wasn't, he wasn't going to go against God and do that and just move totally out of there. But neither was he going to fight about this particular singular spot in that land. You see, brethren, it was because he knew God because he knew God, because he had faith in God, and he trusted God, that God would take care of the issue in the end. See, that's the thing. Listen, it's so easy to lose sight of, and I've done it myself. It is so easy to lose sight of when there's conflict. Is God going to prevail in a conflict? Has God ever been known to lose? God's going to prevail. God is going to come out on top. So, Knowing God, and he knew that God had promised him if he'd stay, and he knew that he was going to be even more blessed. So, he doesn't leave the land, but he doesn't fight either. He just relocates a little further down the valley, as it were. Isaac's story has to be one of the most beautiful, one of the most powerful, one of the most faith-dependent and ultimately positive Christ-like examples of God-desired conflict resolution in the entire Bible. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me a lot of Jesus. It reminds me of Jesus. Remember when he entered the country of the Gadarenes and they wanted him to leave after the herd of pigs, swine ran down the hill and into the water. Remember they, the, the local folks showed up and said, we don't want you here. So, could Jesus have fought them and won? Could he have stayed? Could he have caused a scene, caused a stink? Sure. What did he do? Got in a boat, went to the other side of the lake, where he kept preaching and teaching. See, he didn't stop with the mission. He didn't stop with the mission of God. He simply relocated just a piece, down, just, just a ways down on the other side of the, of the lake there, the other side of the sea, the other side of the water. And he kept doing what God had told him to do. Isaac's doing the same thing. He's staying in the land. He's just relocating a little bit, just getting out of the, out of the line of sight of some of those that, that wanted him to leave. But he's, he's not disobeying God to do it. Reminds me of Jesus when he said, don't you know that I could call my heavenly father and that he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? 
Could Jesus have won that fight if he'd wanted to fight? Of course he could have. But he chose to just do his Father's will and not fight knowing in the end God would take care of it, and God did. Reminds me of Jesus when he went humbly to the cross, knowing he's just going to do his Father's will, even though he could have fought and won. Isaac here, to me, is reminiscent of Jesus as described in 1 Peter 2, 22 through 23, whom it says, committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, and when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Conflict, resolution, there's so much in the Bible about this positive, fruitful type of conflict resolution. It is, it is unbelievable. Did you know in just one chapter of Proverbs, one proverb, how often this idea presents itself? Turn to me if you want in your Bibles to Proverbs 15. And, and as, you, as you turn there, again, let me frame it in this context. The context of them coming and telling Isaac they want him to leave in verse 16, and Isaac in verse 17 just moves a little ways beyond them, doesn't leave, doesn't disobey God, just a little bit further down rather than fight. See if these don't describe Isaac. Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Could Isaac have answered in anger when they asked him to leave that area and said, God told me to stay and I'm telling you guys you best back off. Could he? Well, he could have, but he chose not to. He gave a soft answer, as it were. He simply departed as he was asked. Verse 4 of Proverbs 15, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. It doesn't tell us what Isaac said, but he had a humble heart and a, and a wholesomeness about him. Verses 6 through 9, in the house of the righteous there is much treasure. Was Isaac acting righteously? Yes. He was obeying God? Yes. And he wasn't going to fight even when they wanted to send him away, but he wasn't going away either. He was righteous. But in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. The lips of wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he who loves him follows righteousness. Isaac loved the Lord, and he was following righteousness. We move down to verse 16. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Isaac already had great treasure, but he didn't want trouble. Verse 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife. Isaac wasn't willing to do that. But he who is slow to anger allays contention. Isaac, verse 17, departed, went a little ways away. Verse 21, folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. He departed, he walked away, just a little ways. Set up his tent somewhere else. The Lord will, verse 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Now, I know Isaac wasn't a widow, but Isaac was a very humble man. And he didn't have to worry about the Lord destroying his house. He was going to do God's will. He was going to do it as peaceably as he possibly could. And he knew that God would take care of his boundaries and continue to bless him. Finally, 
says in verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. That's a hard one. Do you know how many times we see this principle in the New Testament on conflict resolution? Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Turn there with me, would you please? Matthew chapter 5. It all follows the same path, no matter what phraseology it's packed in. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, starting right out. Very familiar passage, but, but notice how it mirrors the conflict resolution that Isaac took up in Genesis 26. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Isaac could have said, I ain't going anywhere. God told me to stay, and I'll tell you what, I'm staying. He didn't. But I tell you, verse 39, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Abimelech come and said, you need to go. Isaac said, okay. Look at what the Apostle Paul told us in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, that's key, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Do not take revenge. Do not fire back. Do not seek to destroy those who would destroy you. Does that sound like good conflict resolution? Sounds like godly conflict resolution. You know why? Because just like I said with Isaac, God's going to take care of it. That's what Paul says here. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but give but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Is God going to take care of it all in the end? Now why do I have to try here? Let it go. Let it go. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. So doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this conflict resolution is all through the New Testament. And while I know you've got the idea, look at a couple more. Look at, look at how prevalent it is and how often we see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we often take verses 9 and 10, we apply it to one sin. But there's more than one sin listed there. 
In fact, what gets us to that section of text is the text that I read before it where brother was going against brother in a court of law before unbelievers and Paul said, if you do that, you've already all lost. Doesn't matter what the issue is, you've already lost. Verse 7, therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why don't you rather just accept wrong? Fighting over land and claiming each other's stuff. Paul down there in verses 9 and 10 mentions extortioners, thieves, because that's what he's talking about up in the beginning of chapter 6. We see this idea of conflict resolution. Sometimes accept the wrong and let it go. Final one in the New Testament, just to show you an example of this, this type of conflict resolution, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. You want one verse that sums up Isaac? He didn't betray his faith. He didn't betray his God. He didn't go against what God said and stand in the land. He just moved a little further away within the same place. And, and as we read here in, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians and, and 1 Thessalonians, these last three texts that we've read, you know, Paul didn't just preach it. You know, Paul lived this. Paul lived this exact truth that we're talking about and this truth that Isaac lived when it came to conflict resolution. Do you remember, for example, what happened when some in the Corinthian synagogue wanted to fight in Acts 18, 1 through 11 with Paul. You know what Paul did? This is, this is cool. Acts 18, 1 through 11. You can check it out yourself. They got all nerved up over the truth he was teaching. And, and you know what he did? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't stop preaching. Because that was his mission from God, was to preach the gospel. And he was going to do it. You know what he did? He moved next door. <laughs> he moved next door. That's like from here to the parsonage or whatever. He moved next door. You know what he did for the next two years? He kept it on preaching. See, he never stopped with the mission of God. It's just that those that wanted to be hostile to him, he just kind of got out of sight and got around the corner, just moved a little tiny ways. And that's not the only place he did it. He did the same thing in Ephesus in Acts 19, verses 8 through 20. He did the same thing. We see the same truth over and over and over. He didn't stop preaching and teaching. He didn't stop doing what God told him to do or put him there to do. He just... But a little distance between himself and those who were hostile to what he had to say. He just sought to make himself a little less visible and available to his adversaries while continuing to preach. However, if you'll go back with me to Genesis 26. However, just because you decide to follow what God's word says on conflict resolution, does not necessarily and automatically mean that there is going to be an immediate conflict stoppage in your life. Just because you follow what God said and don't respond in fire for fire and take vengeance yourself and just because you don't do that does not necessarily mean there's going to be an automatic end to conflict. Because you're probably still going to have to deal with some hostile people, just like Paul did. Maybe that's why Paul wrote Romans chapter 12, verse 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Because 
matter what you do, sometimes you're still going to encounter people who don't like what you do. Genesis 26, after Isaac, verse 17, departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac, verse 18, dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abram. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. One quick thing before we move on. They moved down a ways, they moved out of the immediate vicinity of where they were, but they're still in the, the same land and territory. And I like how the Bible words this. It would appear that Isaac himself had a personal stake in this. Notice verse 18, and Isaac dug again the wells of water. Now, I realize sometimes when it says this person did that or this person did that in the scriptures, I understand that when we're talking about those that had a lot of servants, and Isaac did, that sometimes it's talking about the servants doing it in his name or for him, but, but in this text, it says in verse 18, Isaac dug the wells, and then in verse 19 it says, also Ivan, Isaac's servants dug in the valley. And so it seemed to indicate that Isaac himself did a little bit of the, the, the digging. Maybe he didn't, but it would appear that way because it differentiates between when his servants are doing it and when he's doing it, or at least it seems to. However, moving on to verse 20, guess the, care to guess what happened? He's moved, he's been the nice guy, he's gotten down here, maybe dug some of the wells himself, certainly his servants have. Verse 20, <laughs> but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they quarreled with it. Here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. Put in the work, these guys show up. They say it's ours. What's a guy to do? Could he have fought? Mm -hmm. He have a lot of servants he could have fought with, an organized small army? Yep. Do you have the riches to supply him? Yep. Don't you think, think about this, just, just stop and think about it without going through the rest of the story. Don't you think it would have been easy gotten pretty frustrated at this point? Maybe angry, maybe upset, maybe frustrated. Maybe time to insist on his rights and defend what he's done, but, but listen, listen, listen. Because of his faith and trust in God, who had led him there, told him to stay there, and told him he'd bless him if he stayed that land, in that land, because of all that, you know what Isaac does? Says, okay. Moves a little further on. Because he knew God had this. He knew God was going to take care of him because God had promised to. So he just moves a little further away. Then they dug another well, verse 21. They quarreled over that one also, so he called its name Sitna. Here we go again. Easy to get angry, defend, and defend what he's done, insist on his rights, but because of his faith and trust in God, guess what he does? Goes a little further away. Verse 22, and he moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it, so he called its name Rehoboth because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. Don't you love verse 22? He's trying to do what God told him. He's facing all this opposition on all sides. He doesn't disobey God, but he's not going to fight about it. You know, God's got it. So he just moves on until he finds this place where he digs a well and nobody's got a problem with it. <laughs> nobody's going to fight with him over it. Then the Bible says this. We ain't gotten to the good part yet. <clears throat> the best part for me. Verse 23. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. Now, Beersheba... It's only about 30 miles, according to the research I did, about 30 miles away. 
from where he dug that well that nobody fought with him over. Beersheba is approximately 30 miles. Now, don't get me wrong, it's in that same land, it's in that same region, it's not down in Egypt, he's still being obedient to God, but he moves up from there about 30 miles away to Beersheba. And I want you to watch this. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Did you catch what just happened? Abraham was told to stay, despite all the conflicts, all the struggles, all the work of digging the wells. They'd come in and say, that ain't yours, that's ours. He'd say, okay, and he'd move away, and he'd go through the process again. They'd come after he put in all that work and said, that ain't yours, it's ours. He'd say, okay, and finally gets down to this one spot and digs a well and everything. He's faithful through the obstacles. He's faithful through all of the work. He's faithful instead of fighting. He knows God's got it. And, and the beauty is, when he goes up to Beersheba, God comes to him in a dream and basically says to him, I just read it, but basically says to him, Isaac, I'm going to keep my word to you. Why was God saying I'm going to keep my word to you? Because Isaac had stayed faithful and stayed in the land despite all the problems, despite all the troubles, despite all the hostilities and the obstacles, because he had stayed where God told him to stay, stayed where God put him. God said, reiterated his promise, I'm going to bless you for that, Isaac. I am going to bless you so much. But that's not where it ends. Notice verse 26. Then Abimelech, remember who Abimelech was in verse 16? He's the one that said, we don't want you here. Same Abimelech came to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, one of his friends, and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? But they said, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have done nothing to you but good and sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Please don't miss it. God tells him, Isaac, up in verses 23 through 25, he reiterates his promise that he's going to bless him. And now Abimelech comes to him and he's blessed with peace with his enemies. Conflict resolution, peace. In fact, it says in verse 30, so he made them a feast, they ate and drank. Then they rose early in the morning, swore an oath with one another, and Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Peace. Those who were once enemies are now at peace. Why? Because Isaac refused to fight, and he refused to disobey God, and he used his head and his intelligence and his faith, and in still staying in the same land, even when it was hard and difficult and staying the course that God had put him on, God said, I'll bless you, and then God showed him when Abimelech shows up and the conflict is resolved. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Verses 32 and 3. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him about the well which they had dug. And they said to him, we found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba 
to this day. That very same day, they found a well of water. How, <laughs> how providential. <laughs> you know, this is one of the greatest and most needed lessons in the world, I believe, on conflict resolution. It's one of the greatest and most needed lessons in the Lord's Church on conflict resolution. It is about conflict resolution that is real. Conflict resolution that lasts and produces the flawless and perfect fruit of righteousness that God desires and demands. What is it about? What are the nuts and bolts that make it work? If you could take this whole ball of conflict resolution and you could tear it apart and you could look at, at what makes it tick, I'll tell you what makes it tick. What makes it tick is the same thing that made it tick for Isaac, right in the very beginning of the story. It is about trusting God who keeps his promises enough to just keep on keeping on when he tells you to do something and when he puts you in the place to do it. No matter how much work, no matter how many obstacles, no matter how many hostile people or prejudices you have to face and try to find a way to appease as best you can, all the while continuing with the work or the position that God has put you in to do that. That's what it is. Trust God is what it comes down to. Trust God and persevere and keep on keeping on and keep doing what you know is the right thing to do as peacefully as you possibly know how to do it. Otherwise, you may end up with this situation. Brother Kent Heaton, at the conclusion of this lesson, said he had a true story he wanted to share. And I want to share it with you. It's very short. He said it was a true story. The title of it is Contending About Trifles. In the year 1005, some soldiers of the Commonwealth of Modena ran away with a bucket from a well belonging to the state of Bologna. The implement might be worth a shilling, which is nothing pretty much. It's a pail, it's a bucket. But it produced a quarrel which worked into a long and bloody war. Henry, the king of Sardinia, for the Emperor Henry II, assisted the Modenese people in keeping possession of the bucket. And in one of the battles, he was taken prisoner. His father, the Emperor, offered a chain of gold that would encircle Bologna, which is about seven miles around, a chain of gold that would go seven miles around the, the other kingdom if they would just let his son go. This was over a bucket. The offer was in vain. After 20 years of imprisonment, his father being dead, the son pined away and died also. His monument is still in the Church of the Dominicans. The fatal bucket is still exhibited in the tower of the Cathedral of Modena, encased in an iron cage. A pail, a bucket. It caused a bloody civil war. And a seven-mile chain of gold was not enough to secure the king's son's release. And so both of them died. Can you imagine fighting over a pail? A pail. Do you suppose 
that just maybe such a senseless, needless, and long-term pointless suffering is maybe why God so strongly emphasized and is so adamant about our need for godly love and forgiveness of one another. All begins when you are forgiven by God of your trespasses. You cannot truly forgive another the way God has forgiven you until you have experienced the forgiveness that God has for you. The, the, the unconditional love and the, the type of forgiveness that God has for you. And, and until you have truly tasted, experienced, understood, and known that, you can't forgive somebody else like that because it is not of this world. Until you've experienced the love of Christ on that cross, until you have understood what he did, he did it for you, and you've taken advantage of that by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and understand that he died for an ungodly person like you, you can't really love unconditionally like he does. If you would be baptized into Christ tonight for the forgiveness of your sins, we would love the opportunity to do that in just a moment, but, but, if you've already experienced that, and you need the prayers of the church or you need to see somebody privately after church and ask them to pray for you to have the strength to be better at conflict resolution, to be better at walking away instead of fighting or to go to that person that you need to go to. We will pray for you. If you have a need tonight, please come to the front as we stand and sing.